There we go. Listen now for the word of the Lord. This is a reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 44. Uh, One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and beside them is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared him to ask any question. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how can he be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearances say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Going back a step, please join me in the prayer for illumination. Lord of love, you have taught us through your word that love is your greatest commandment. Help us to hear again this message today. Teach us to love as unconditionally as you love us. Amen. Well, here we are in week two of the COVID-19 shutdown, this time sheltering in place, having no idea if our Zoom conference is about to conk out on us, but carrying on nonetheless. As we get more information and try to adapt to changing circumstances, I find myself wondering how we'll look back on our response after it's all over. Someday, when this crisis is finally ended, we'll, we'll be able to assess. What should we have done differently? Probably a lot. Time will tell. At some point, I suspect, we'll also be able to reflect on what this experience has to teach us about our core values, since crises tend to bring these things out. 
For example, imagine you wake up in the middle of the night and your house is on fire. What's the first thing you would think about trying to save? What's the first thing you would, you would run after? Would it be a high-priced item or a family heirloom? What about legal documents or a picture album? Of course, we'd, all, we'd probably all, all think first about getting the people out alive. That would be the responsible thing to do. But under stress, people also focus on silly things, or at least priorities that aren't completely rational, like a toothbrush or a favorite pair of slippers. This season of pandemic, the item of choice seems to be toilet paper. Go figure. Something about the idea of running out of toilet paper has people really anxious. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I suppose people just need something to focus on, which makes sense. When you turn on the news, there's so much information to process at once, a lot of it unclear, and so much uncertainty, it's hard to know where to start, what to do, how to sort it all out, how to decide what's really important, what really matters. Now, this isn't a new problem, of course. Uh, the issue of information overload, as I sometimes think of it, has, comes up in all sorts of circumstances, and it, it comes up in regard to Scripture as well. For instance, in the Lenten Bible study that some of us have been starting to look at, we've been looking at some of the more difficult texts in the Bible, like how in the Old Testament it looks like God appears wrathful or violent or vindictive. But then in the New Testament, Jesus assures us that God is love. So what do we do with that? What do we focus on? People tend to be similarly confused about the law. I mean, is God into ritual cleanliness or not? Does God hate sinners or does God love them? And what about oppressive rulers? Surely God hates injustice. But then just last week, Jesus was telling us to pay taxes even to oppressive governments. So it's confusing. No wonder some people get obsessed with toilet paper. There's so much information they just don't know what to focus on. So in today's passage from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tries to help straighten out his disciples' priorities a little bit. He gives them a focus for their anxious minds. And interestingly, he's prompted to do this by, by someone he, who we usually think of as having poor priorities. It looks in this chapter as though Jesus doesn't seem to like the scribes very much. Their focus is on Scripture, and yet Jesus criticizes their interpretation of Scripture, saying that they don't understand who the Son of David really is. Jesus then advises his disciples not to listen to them, saying, beware of the scribes, because they're all about privilege and prestige and appearances. Jesus even condemns the scribes for devouring widows' houses, as in exploiting the poor. So it's rather surprising when one of these scribes, after listening to Jesus teaching for a while, asks him a sincere question about priorities. He says to Jesus, well, which commandment comes first? Which law is the most important? And then Jesus answers the scribe directly, which is also surprising. I mentioned a couple weeks ago how Jesus asks over 300 questions in the Gospels and yet only directly answers a few. <laughs> and this is one of the few he chooses to answer. 
So right away we know it must be important. Maybe even the most important. Jesus responds to the scribe with not just one commandment, but two. The first commandment, says Jesus, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Note, incidentally, that in this gospel, the order is clear. The golden rule comes in second. It's the love of God that comes first. And yet Jesus says to them in the same breath, they always go together. This scribe then seems pleased. Yes, that's it, says this man who has devoted himself to the study of God's law. Truly, these commandments are the priority. They come first. This is much more important than all the offerings and sacrifices of the law. And Jesus commends this scribe's commentary, saying, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Meanwhile, those listening to this exchange are surely a bit shocked, at least the other scribes, because the offerings and sacrifices that just got downgraded are the focus of the whole temple system. And no temple means that there would be no scribes. If people don't give to the temple or come to offer sacrifices, then the scribes are out of the job. And everyone knows this. The disciples are so amazed at what they've just heard that they decide after this not to ask Jesus any more questions. All of a sudden, things have gotten political. It would be dangerous to continue the conversation. Okay. Hitting pause. <laughs> Let's start again.
Okay, I'm going to continue on with the sermon for the sake of the podcast and the video feed. I'm sorry we got cut off, uh, but live and learn. So, where we left off in the story was that Jesus was criticizing the priorities of the scribes in general. He just keeps right on doing, doing it. Look at this broken system, says Jesus. He takes his disciples to the temple and has them observe putting people, people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large stacks of cash. Then a poor widow comes and puts in two small coins worth just a penny. Jesus says to them, this poor woman is is paying more than everyone else because they gave out of their excess, but she, being poor, put in everything she had. It was all she had to live on. Which leaves us with a question left unspoken but still hanging in the air. How is that just? How does this unequal system fulfill the law? Is this what the love of God and neighbor looks like? Scribes getting rich at the expense of the poor? That can't be right. Those scribes are devouring widows' houses because their priorities are all out of whack. Loving God and neighbor is more important than any kind of sacrifice, any kind of system. So the well-being of widows should outweigh any offering, any building, even the temple where God was thought to dwell. This seems to be the implication of Jesus' commentary in this story. Now, I know that this example from the, of the scribes from the Gospels can seem to us today like ancient history. Those terrible scribes, we think, they just had everything backward. But let's not forget that there was at least one of them who listened to Jesus and did get it right, or at least close to right. I suspect that that's often how it is with us, too. We don't always have our priorities in the right order, either. More often than not, we're also likely to get stuck on something less important than the law of love, as in buildings or economic systems, social structures, toilet paper. But once in a while, we do come close to the kingdom of God. And Jesus is always trying to help us to get closer, to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength to love our neighbors just as much as we love ourselves. I'm going to talk now a little bit about what I think this, this could look like today, since it appears to me that Jesus is pretty direct in this particular story. And in times of crisis, I know it's helpful to be direct. This theme, for instance, reminds me of some teaching advice I got at the school the other week before they closed. <coughs> I saw a, a note on it uh, posted above a teacher's desk that, It said, when giving instructions to children, you should keep it short and simple and to the point since kids can't handle long instructions. I filed away this advice for future use in homeschooling for the foreseeable future. But then I realized later that this is pretty much still true for us adults as well. All of us children of God do better with short instructions. We all need help prioritizing on a daily basis even especially when we're stuck in our houses 24-7 with family who may eventually get on our nerves. It also reminds me of some marital advice that I read in a book uh, once. It said, you've got to tell your partner what it is that you want 
and be specific, say the experts. No one can read your mind. So you've got to say what you want or need and be specific. You can't assume that the other person is going to notice how you or how they are driving you crazy. It's better to actually say something and be specific. As in, not just, you're driving me crazy! (laughs) Anyway, back to the great commandment. I find this prime directive of Jesus to be, at least on the surface, pretty simple and short and clear and direct. Specific. Love God, says Jesus, and love your neighbor. That's easy enough to remember. And the details are similarly short. How do we love God? With everything that we have and all that we are. And what does that look like? It looks like Jesus. And what would Jesus do in the midst of a pandemic? Now we're getting somewhere. Here's what that looks like in my imagination. I invite you all to reflect on how your portrait might be similar or different. First off, I'm thinking Jesus would not be particularly anxious or worried in this historical moment. Because loving God means trusting God in all things. And perfect love casts out all fear. So I imagine the first thing Jesus would do would be to pray for strength. For the facing of this hour. For the weathering of the storm. His first thought wouldn't be about himself or even even about the people around him. Jesus' first thought would be of God, the God of all creation, who loves us more than we can ever know or imagine. That's why Jesus is never afraid. He gives all of his heart and soul and mind and strength to God in all circumstances, which makes him as cool as a cucumber, no matter what happens to him. That's what the love of God can do for us, too, when we orient all that we have and all that we are toward God. We've got to put that commandment first. Secondly, I imagine Jesus would then look around at his neighbors and try to help them out. Because Jesus also loves his neighbors as himself and cares about how they're feeling, even if he himself is feeling just fine. Remember, for instance, the story of Jesus and the disciples in the boat during a storm on the Sea of Galilee. How Jesus was so at peace in God's love that he was asleep in the bow of the boat while his disciples were completely freaking out. They finally woke Jesus up saying, saying, Jesus, aren't you going to do something? We're all about to die. And Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Jesus' love of God meant that he was not afraid to die. But then he wanted his neighbors to have the same sense of peace. So he went about doing what he could do to also calm the storm. Loving neighbors means sharing God's peace with them and helping them also to stay calm, to be not afraid. And it's not just peace that Jesus shares. His love of neighbors means that Jesus shares everything with other people. He doesn't hold anything back in his work of healing. That's the third thing I think love would do during a pandemic sharing. Again, pretty basic. For example, can you imagine Jesus fighting over that last roll of toilet paper at Jewel? Not so much. Even if he and all 12 disciples were down 
<laughs> to their last square. <clears throat> I imagine Jesus would turn it into a teaching moment. Like at the feeding of the 5,000. If you remember that story where, where the whole crowd was out of food and Jesus said to the disciples, you get them something to eat. I think Jesus would be standing outside the jewel saying, all right, show me what you've got. And people would bring out a couple paper towels, a few napkins, and then Jesus would take them and he would bless them and he would tear them and he would share them. And behold, there would be enough for everybody. That's what I picture Jesus doing during the coronavirus. If he was going to be, if he was going to be passing out toilet paper, I'm sure he'd also be wearing gloves and a mask, though, so as not to inadvertently pass on the virus to others. Love means healing neighbors, not putting them at risk. So probably the sharing wouldn't be so much about physical items like toilet paper at all. Jesus would be sharing words of comfort and companionship over the phone and online and maybe even through snail mail. Jesus shares love, not illness. Which leads me to a few things that I think it's safe to say love would not do during a crisis. And again, please feel free to disagree with me on any or all of these points. Good discernment requires talking to one another about what love looks like, not just taking my word for it. That's why Jesus was talking with the scribes. He was clarifying what it meant. He was being specific. Hopefully you're still with me. So if prioritizing the love of God and neighbor might mean focusing on prayer, sharing during this time, it surely means letting go of other things too. I've already mentioned fear and hoarding. Perfect love casts out fear and it doesn't work well with selfishness. But what about the stock market? Does Jesus care that the economy is going down the tubes? On the one hand, it's mostly wealthy people who are invested in the stock market. But then unfortunately, we know that it's, it's the poor who are disproportionately affected by economic recessions. It's the people who live paycheck to paycheck who can't afford to go without work for even a couple of weeks. So if loving, if loving neighbors is a priority... I'm thinking Jesus would be looking to share with those poor folks in particular and not, not paying much mind to the numbers on Wall Street. I'm sure some economists would like to say that these issues are one and the same. But what I notice in this story is that Jesus isn't concerned about the well-being of the scribes, the people who are well off. It's the widows, the poor ones, that Jesus is watching out for. And then the love of God is so focused on the well-being of God's children that other systems fall into the background as well. Even the church. In the time of Jesus, it was the temple. Today, it's the church. We could add corporations and political parties to the list too. We know all institutions right now are feeling threatened by the coronavirus. If businesses have to shut down for weeks or months, what if people don't come back? What if we don't make it? This causes more fear, more anxiety. But still, Jesus brings us back to this focus on the things that matter first and most. Loving God. Loving neighbors. In whatever ways we can love them without putting them at risk. 
do this and everything else will work out, says Jesus. We'll be okay. Even if the entire system comes crashing down, these three remain. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. So don't worry about your life, says the Lord of love. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Live instead like the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, trusting the God of all creation (coughs) who created us in love and sent His Son to earth to comfort us and to deliver us from all fear. For this is God's will for us, the way to life and life abundant, even in the midst of a global pandemic. Amen? And all God's people said, Amen. I invite you to join with me in the hymn that's listed somewhere in your bulletin, How Great Thou Art. Again, Perry was kind enough to record this for us ahead of time, so I'm going to go ahead and play it now and sing as you, sing loud and proud because you might be on camera. How great thou art, how great thou art. 
Please join with me in prayer. Gracious and holy and loving and everlasting God, we come before you this morning in places uh, that sometimes feel lonely and isolated. We come before you across distance, across lag- lags in time due to technical difficulties. We come before you as a people who are feeling stress and anxiety. And so we come before you, God, first of all, asking that you would make us whole, that you would calm our fears, that you would assure us of your love for us, even in the midst of all this craziness all around us. God, we come to give you our thanks and praise that you are with us in all times and all circumstances, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love that we have known in your son, Jesus, not illness, not death not isolation or distance or loneliness or fear. God, we thank you that you are with us and that you are powerful to heal and to save. We lift up to you today and every day our, our neighbors and friends who are feeling particularly low as a result of this crisis. We lift up to you those who are in need of healing not just from this virus, but from all the, the, uh, all the evil that plagues your people. Grief, loss, long-term diagnoses like cancer. God, we remember before you the, the people who are struggling with relational pain. Those who are estranged from their loved ones, not because of the virus, but because of the past. We ask for your power for reconciliation and healing during this time. And we pray that you would use this, uh, this crisis, God, to, to lead us back to you. That you would help us to change our priorities. To be able to grow into the love of you and the love of one another in ways that we have not considered before. We pray that you would continue to help us with the little things like getting connected technologically We ask that you would cast out all evil, even the frustrations of the internet. And we pray that you would be at work in our wider world, helping people around the world to know that you are still with us and that we will make it through this. God, we ask that you would bind together our congregation, our church, that you would help us to love one another as your son Jesus has loved us by reaching out to share with one another in phone calls, in text messages, in video chats, perhaps, that you would help us to be your people in a special way during this time and that your people around the world would do likewise. God, help us and save us. In Jesus' name we pray. As we pray together the prayer that your son Jesus taught us in the words that are in the bulletin, to the extent that we're able to follow along, saying together, Our Father who is in heaven, Uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen.
Our final hymn this morning is Take My Life and Let It Be. Again, Perry recorded this for us, and I encourage you to sing along as you are able. Sing loud and proud, even if there's no one at home. Hear this, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Therefore, wherever you find yourself this week, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. And may God give you justice and freedom. May Christ Jesus set you free to love. And may the Holy Spirit go where you go and protect you on the way. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen. Friends, thank you for joining in our service this morning. It's almost 11 o'clock. Thank you so much for getting back on the, the call after it got dropped. Um, I encourage you, I'm going to leave this, this window open so that you can unmute your microphones and chat a little bit, as is our custom during coffee hour. Uh, of course, that's going to be a little chaotic too, but so it goes. I'm grateful that uh, I learned some things from this experience. I hope you did too. Uh, we'll certainly get better if we try it again next week. I'll send out more emails uh, to follow. But in the meantime, there's, I, I, I have to run to a vision team meeting. Uh, we're also going to meet uh, via Zoom, so I'm going to go to my office now. But again, I'm going to leave this, this conversation open, and I encourage you all to unmute your microphones and have a crazy, Holy Spirit-filled conversation. God be with you. Amen.